Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we're here to do X-Factor number one. But first, we're going to do Avengers number 263, which is supposedly very important. I don't know why. Uh, the title of this one's What Lurks Below. It was out in January of 1986 or October 8th of 1985, if you like. Yeah, uh, so I'm reading this from X-Men Phoenix Rising trade paperback, which collects the Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Factor number one, and then the two classic X-Men stories, as well as uh, some Marvel Age coverage. There's really not much to talk about here with the Avengers, uh, so let's just let's just go through this uh, quickly. Um, the Avengers are doing some Avengery things, and there's like some bad dudes who the Avengers think are doing some bad stuff. But really, all this does is get the Avengers down to the bottom of the ocean where they find a cocoon of some sort that's wafting off energy. They have cool names like Morlack and Zoda and Shinsky. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if you're in the Avengers right now, you're probably like, oh, it's these guys. But I don't... None of this means anything. There's like an old guy on... Life support that Captain Marvel visits. Uh, I think he's key to like, he's like, no, that's not our cocoon. That's somebody else's cocoon. Um, Current Avengers lineup is Captain America, Wasp as the leader. Um, Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. <laughs> uh, Captain Marvel, the Bla- second. Uh, the Black Knight or Night Knight or... I think it's the Black Knight. I'm not sure what this guy is, but he's from the UK, right? I don't know. Sure. And uh, Namor just joined the team. Ah, uh, yes, and that's like very contentious because everyone's like Namor. He's a bad guy, like Magneto. Yeah. Um. So the Avengers are at the bottom of the ocean. They're they're uh, minus Captain Marvel, and they're uh, trying to figure out the secret of this cocoon. And the cocoon is attacking back essentially, and they can also hear it uh, psychically speaking to them. Saying things like, no, no, please get back, stay away. Captain Marvel is not there. However, she was the first to encounter it. And um, it looks like, if, if you're familiar with, and they kind of refer to this later, if, you're, if, you're, if you know about cosmic Marvel, mm-hmm. um, this looks like the, the, the thing that Adam Warlock was hatched out of, which they do refer to somewhere. Yes, they do make a... I think that might be in Fantastic Four. But yes, Adam Warlock is mentioned as well as female Adam Warlock. Here it is. It's page 16. Oh, okay. Well, of my, I'm reading this out of X-Factor Epic Collection Volume 1, which has all that stuff that you mentioned, plus several other issues of X-Factor, plus Amazing Spider-Man, plus an annual. It's on page 18 in my book. Iron Man annual number 8. Uh, okay. Yeah, anyways. Um, I don't know. Eventually, uh... Wasp kind of figures out like uh, this thing isn't attacking them; it's it's reacting uh, to it's it. Scurred. Who scurred? What? It's scurred. Who scurred? It's scurred. I don't I don't know what you're saying. It's scared. Oh, <laughs> it's a scared. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's a self defense mechanism. So they uh, they attempt to com- convince it that they don't mean them any harm. So Wasp goes in and she she thinks because she's realizes whatever this is, is doing some sort of mental projection. And uh, she, she eventually gets to the word help. And this cocoon thing is like, help. Um, the Avengers are, are worried uh, that Jan's getting too close and, and maybe she's going to get attacked again. But Captain America, the voice of reason, he's like, no, 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 she's got this. She is the leader. Absolutely. 
And so eventually they get, uh, she gets close enough to, uh, she doesn't touch it, but the, the kind of scraggly gunk that's around, uh, this, uh, sheds away. Apparently this was like a whole bunch of, uh, fabric. Um, yeah, they said it was a mattress. Yeah. So somehow this cocoon, which now looks just like a metal spherical object, uh, was, was enshrouded in mattresses because apparently that's what you do, uh, in Jamaica Bay. Well, if you think about it from the perspective of somebody reading this who doesn't know what's going on, it looks, and if they're familiar with Marvel chronology, they're like, oh, it's like an Adam Warlock type thing. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was a smart thing to do. Absolutely. Uh, it is initially thought by the Avengers and I guess by the reader at the time that this cocoon came out of the the airplane with the Shinsky and Morlock and Zota. And we are led to believe that through most of the issue and as are the Avengers until Captain Marvel does some detective work and realizes that, nope, it's, it was already at the bottom of Jamaica Bay outside of JFK. Yeah. It wasn't a mystery to me because like right on the cover of this issue, it says X factor starts here. That's true. <laughs> um, interesting to note that right now, like, there, there's a lot of press for X Factor, and it has all of the press has the four members of X Factor, uh, Beast back in his original form in most of the artwork, and a silhouette for the fifth member. And it always says, "Who is the fifth member?" Uh huh. Right. Uh, yeah. And and we find out at the end of of this issue who it is. Uh, they they grab this cylindrical cocoon thing and they take it back to the Avengers mansion. Um, they can't get a signal of, um, of any life. Um, Captain America has checked some intelligence uh, and he, he knows that at one point, a few years back, a space shuttle crashed into Jamaica Bay. Um, so it's possible that maybe the space shuttle had picked this thing up. Captain Marvel's on that, though. She's going to call uh, NASA and let them know or see if she can find out more information. NASA doesn't know anything about our mystery capsule, Cap. Oh, <laughs> oh well, that's convenient that you just told me that. Um. Yeah. So the Avengers uh, assemble. Um. Because they all, they're they all leave the lab. I don't. I don't know why they all have to go. <laughs> the airport but, uh, administrators are on the line. They want us to coordinate mop up operations with Agent Freeman. So apparently there was an airplane crash earlier in the issue with that Mordock and whatever. So apparently the Avengers are going to go back to JFK and help clean up the mess. So all of the Avengers leave, leaving this cylindrical object in the Avengers mansion. And apparently it uh, it starts swirling. It's so it's it's trans um it's trans it's opaque and then it goes to translucent and then it goes to transparent. Uh, and as it becomes transparent, we the reader see a familiar redheaded woman. Well, she doesn't look all that familiar actually, but she says Scott. Yes, and then the caption says, "And the one woman the world once knew as Jean Grey is once more hidden from the world." As the as the cloud or the the I don't know what it is that's in this tube, but it it goes back to being opaque again. Yep, and that's that's really all that there is for the Avengers. The next uh, issue would continues in one week, like a phoenix in Fantastic Four. But we don't have to wait a week. We're going to read it right now. No, I think we should wait a week. Okay, well, so, good episode. Good episode. <laughs> Shortest one we've ever done. Um, join us yeah. next week, though. Yeah, I, I can't imagine just going through this whole Phoenix Rising trade paperback in one episode. Seems like a huge waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that's what's going to happen, isn't it? All right. 
Fantastic Four number 286. This one's titled Like a Phoenix, as you mentioned. It was on sale also January of 1986 and on sale October 15th, which was the following week. Yes. After the last one. And this one is drawn and written by You Know Who. John Byrne. Are you sure? John Byrne, y'all. Are you sure? Well, mostly. <laughs> uh, Terry Austin is the guest anchor. So, like, this is an all-star uh, issue here. Glynis Oliver coloring. I don't know who John Workman, the letterer, is, or Mark Carlin, the editor. But special thanks to um, Roger Stern and uh, Kay Busick. Yes, which they misspell. It's Kurt Busiek. Yeah, okay. I was wondering about that. Like, who's this Busick guy? And Roger Stern is the writer of the aforementioned Avengers mm-hmm. comic. And uh, in my opinion, I mean, I haven't been reading Fantastic Four, but it, I mean, this is probably an understatement, but John Byrne has certainly hit his stride uh, art-wise and story-wise uh, by my accounts reading this issue. He's a good artist, good writer. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy with this entire issue. It's good stuff. Yep. So the Fantastic Four have been in space for a while, and now they're coming home. And they make a joke about it. Uh, a comic-related joke that says, I heard a theory that Cosmic doesn't sell. Mm. Aha! Is that why they're coming back, is because sales were dipping because they were in space? Uh, no, I don't know. I, I think they, they were making this joke because the Fantastic Four was probably doing really well at the time. Oh, okay. And that's I think that's always been a sort of thing about Marvel's Cosmic, is that the sales are, I don't know, different, less, I suppose. So Reed wants to land his little spaceship at JFK, but because of the airplane crash that happened last issue in Avengers, uh, all flights are being diverted. And uh, What? Yeah. So they have to land somewhere else. LaGuardia. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. I've been to LaGuardia. I've been to, yeah, LaGuardia <laughs> and JFK. I spent the night at JFK once. Well, yeah. Glad it wasn't LaGuardia. Ugh. I don't know. I've only been to LaGuardia once. I've never been to JFK, so I have no frame of reference. (laughs) I I will tell you this. As I flew into LaGuardia, I was looking for the Statue of Liberty, and I I never saw it. You should have looked on the other side of the plane. Clearly. Clearly. (laughs) So the Avengers, uh, or rather the Fantastic Four, um, were going to go to the Baxter Building. Have to go to the Baxter Building. uh, Well, the Baxter Building is gone. They're actually staying at... Avengers Mansion right now. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And it's also mentioned that the Avengers are finishing up a mop-up job. So so that dot is connected. So they're um, they're going to land at LaGuardia, and they're going to take a taxi back down to uh, Aven- Avengers Mansion, which is kind of funny. You know, the superhero team lands their spaceship and then has to get into a stinky uh, Reagan Bush taxi cab. Well, they do make a comment that normally they would land it at the Baxter Building, but Avengers Mansion is too small. Yep. Reagan Bush sticker on the uh, taxi cab. Clearly locking it in time. So they they arrive at Avengers Mansion, and uh, it's a heartwarming homecoming. Everybody's happy to see everybody. And apparently there's a little bit of flirting between Hercules and She-Hulk. Yeah, they kind of address that a little more in detail later. They kind of do some wrestling. Yeah. Captain America debriefs the Fantastic Four on the events of the last issue of Avengers, the pod they found and how they brought it back. Reed Richards takes a look at it, and he's like, interesting, I've never seen anything like that. And as he gets closer, he gets zapped away. John Byrne apparently decided he did not like the design of the 
pill-shaped container. Yeah, it's more like a coffin, like a cylindrical coffin now. That's okay. They're only a week apart, so they probably didn't get to coordinate that much on what the pod design would look like. Yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, Sue Storm uses her shield power to get Reed safely down from being blasted backward. Um, they both, they all observe the, the cocoon and they can make out kind of a silhouette of a woman. Yeah, the, um, uh, Mr. Fantastic asks Mrs. or the invisible woman to make the stuff inside of the tube invisible. So she is making all of the stuff go away so that they can see that it's a woman, a yep. human woman. It's a lot of strain on Sue. She she gets a little winded. There's resistance. Yeah. And then Fantastic Four stuff happens. Johnny and She-Hulk talk about Hercules, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, Johnny is in a relationship with Alicia Masters, which I think we knew. Mm-hmm. And She-Hulk is in a relationship with Wyatt Wingfoot, but, you know. She flirts with Hercules because she's She-Hulk. She can do what she wants. Well, he has, and, he has eyes just like Tom Selleck. Yeah. And he's really strong just like she is. And also, he's Hercules. Come on. Yeah. Not just any Hercules. He's the Hercules. 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 Yep. So Jarvis comes in a little later, or what uh, Captain America and Reed Richards think is a little later, but really it's been eight hours. They've been up all night trying to figure out what's going on with this uh, cocoon thing. Reed Richards checks his early prototype iWatch. Yeah. He's got some stubble going on. He's all rough and tumbly looking. Was he not like that before? Well, he wasn't. Wow. No. That's, I think, to signify that he's been up all night. Nice touch, John Byrne. Yeah. It was very good. One of the rare times that I've seen Captain America with his hood off. I mean, I know it happens, but it doesn't happen often. That's true. And casual. And so as Jarvis is uh, pouring them some coffee, um, all of a sudden the coffee, instead of going down, goes up. Yeah, uh, Reed is putting a a gentle bioradiant stimulation to the woman's conscious mind, and that causes this to happen. So, yes, the coffee raises. We cut over to Sue Storm, who is sleeping, and suddenly all the things in her room are uh, flying Yes. Including herself. <laughs> yeah, everything's up in the air, and she's wondering how she can counter her counter this. And she immediately realizes that this must have something to do with the lab, with Reed. So she's got to get downstairs, but she doesn't know how to do that. Uh, meanwhile, we flip over to the lab where Hercules is totally upside down. Uh, <laughs> Captain America. He says zooms, which is, of course, amazing. Zounds. <laughs> And uh, Captain America, uh, Van- Mr. Fantastic, are, are also floating. Reed determines that he has to be able to get uh, his hand over to release her so that they can be um, let go, I guess. He's got to cut in the hyperphase modulator because, you know, because yeah. it's time to hyperphase. It's time to modulate the hyperphases. Uh, Hercules wants to know that uh, he's like, are you mad? And he's like, no, I'm just making an educated guess. Jarvis guessed correctly when he suggested the woman herself might have superpowers. Now those powers are themselves functioning. So whatever's happening are the manifestation of her powers. Well, we know it's Jean Grey. Yeah. It's her telekinesis. Okay. And um, her defense, the pod's defense mechanism may turn on her destroying her unless we release her f- first. Jarvis says, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Look at the pod. What's happening to it? it? It turns black. And then Reed says, it seems to be working. It's 
It's hatching. Your rotten little game is finished, Lang. So are your so-called ex-sentinels. They're falling apart. Now it's your turn, says a familiar Jean Grey. Well, now it's your turn. Yeah, she's confused. She's like, uh, you are not Lang, and this doesn't look like the S.H.I.E.L.D. satellite. Captain America uh, puts his mask back on. He doesn't want a civvy to see him. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Reed Richards is like, uh, this is the Avengers Mansion, and I'm Reed Richards. She says, no, not even close. Fantastic Four wore blue costumes, not black. So a little thin rationale there. But, but yeah, she's still under the impression that uh, Stephen Lang's um, doppelganger sentinels are attacking, and now it's in the form of the Fantastic Four. Reed says, hey, there's got to be an explanation for this. Just let us down. Gene says, no, I'm not going to do that. You're crazy. So long as I seem to have all this extra power, you boys can just keep bouncing around the ceiling until she gets knocked out by the invisible woman's invisible cylinder. Shelf. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yes, invisible woman comes in. She's like, um, "You're. I don't know who you are, but I'm the invisible woman." Jean says. Jean Grey says. No way! You should be the invisible girl. That's in clear error in your programming. All these leaps of logics are genius. Yes. Lang's getting sloppier and sloppier, and you're going to get dismantled. But her powers don't work. And that's when Sue reveals that she was able to get down by encasing herself in a force field. And now she's going to encase Jean into a force field, uh, thus keeping her power inside the force field. Which happens to work. The Avengers fall. Uh, Reed makes a big rubber hand and catches Jarvis, which is cute. <laughs> and oh. Okay, creeps, you've won. Get it over with. Kill me. <laughs> Why does she sound like Destiny? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can do the old Gene voice. <laughs> Getting into it. <clears throat> I have to go back and listen to old episodes to see if I can capture the essence. Anyways, uh, yeah, Reed deduces all this that she is Marvel Girl, and uh, Jean's like, yep. Of course! Yes, I am. Why do you insist on this stupid charade? What does Lang hope to gain from it? Does he expect me to grovel, to beg for my life? We're made of tougher stuff than that in the X-Men. X-Men? Marvel Girl? Of course, but no one's seen or heard of her. Anything of her in years. Not since several Christmas Eves passed, and that very probably accounts in part for her hostility. Sue, drop your field. Hercules asks again, are you mad? That's all he really says. Yeah. <laughs> Reed's like, no, uh, we're going to earn her trust, so we're just going to be completely at her mercy and see what happens. I don't understand. If you're really the Fantastic Four, really the Avengers, what's happened to me? I feel so tired, so drained. Oh. Yep. Jarvis brings her a chair. Would you care for some nice hot tea? And so Jean regales the Fantastic Four and Avengers with uh, a tale. We've already heard of the Sentinels, that fateful night when she was out for dinner with Scott heading out to the S.H.I.E.L.D. satellite on an all-but-stolen space shuttle, fighting the X-Sentinels and Wolverine deducing that Marvel Girl was not really Marvel Girl, but an X-Sentinel. We see the, the trials and tribulations of the same black dress that she's been wearing this whole time. It probably doesn't smell very good. No, she's got to just smell foul. She's been <laughs> stuck in a cocoon for 
I don't know, the vague uh, uh, timeline of a few Christmases back. So, you know, three years maybe. And uh, then we get a little bit of uh, information about Stephen Lang, the government, uh, denying anything about the Sentinels uh, or supporting Lang's final solution. So apparently that whole thing has been whitewashed. But she doesn't quite remember what happened after that. Right. I can't remember what it was. I just can't remember. There's a little kitty pride in there. (laughs) Uh, So Gene's like, well, Professor Xavier, he can help me. He's the most powerful telepathic mind on Earth. And... Oh, snap. He's not on Earth anymore. Sorry. Well, they don't know that, but what they do know is that nobody knows where the professor is. And besides, the X-Men are uh, fighting side by side with a known criminal. What? What are you talking about? There's like a... Don't they refer to... Oh, yeah. Secret word they... they... They mentioned the Secret Wars limited series as though that's like... Yeah. Well, right. We, we've we seen the X-Men fighting side by side with a mutant known as Magneto. Gene's like, no, where have I woken up? And Sue then says, yeah, back in Secret Wars, the X-Men were fighting with Magneto, which is a terrible example. There's got to be something else. Like, we saw them... F- well, have we seen them fighting together yet? Well, I mean, everybody saw the trial of Magneto. Yeah. It was a big thing on TV. She could mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The X-Men stood by him at his trial or something like that. Whatever. Anyways, um, yep. Just shows John Byrne is not reading the X-Men right now. <laughs> He's like, Chris Claremont and I don't get along. <laughs> don't like him. He wouldn't let me write the comic, so I had to leave. Um, then Gene says, well, what about my parents? And Reed's like, well think about this you've been gone a while i mean if you just show up it's gonna be a shock and we don't know what that would do oh just stop what am i gonna do reed wants to think about this but then uh sue is like ah this is all a bunch of crap i had a thing happen to me so i know what she's going through we're gonna go take her to her parents and that thing was the whole psycho man thing that we we talked a little bit about so they take a quinjet and they take it over to wherever she lives um annandale road is that which did she live in illinois i can't remember no it's no. in new york she, it's somewhere in new york that she lived apparently it's annandale road yes and uh you know they they tried calling but there was no answer uh hercules kicks down the door just destroying she it for no reason out at him. hercules what do you think you're doing this isn't the fortress i know of some would-be world beater this is my parents home Besides, look, there's a fake rock here with a key under it. Uh, Captain America assures her that the door will be repaired and replaced. They find that glowing uh, globe thing, the essence of Jean Grey. Uh, Hercules is the first one to touch it, and he's like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. As we learn by touching it, you kind of get the essence. Well, I guess we already knew that. You get the essence of the person. Yeah. And Reed Richards knows that it is a holopathic matrix crystal, because why wouldn't he? Yeah. And um, normally these things only go to people that have died. Right. And she's that, that kind of throws a shock to Jean Grey. But for such a thing to exist, it must have been made after I died. Right. Yes, and with luck it will contain an impression of the missing moments of your memory. Take it, Miss Grey. I can't. I know this is what we came for. I know it's an answer, but I'm afraid. 
Meanwhile, back at the Avengers mansion, Cap is doing some research into the Avengers files. And he suddenly remembers, of course, the X-Men connection I keep associating her with. The Beast was an Avenger, and he was an X-Man. Maybe he knows something about Jean Grey. Or better yet, maybe he recorded an entire video talking about Jean. Because this is how the, the Avengers files works. They're interactive. An Avengers member has to do all this research into stuff, and then they have to like record a videotape, and then they have to like capture all this footage to put on the videotape. Sometimes it's tough. Like, I'm imagining these are recreations because, like, they didn't have a camera around the time of the, the Phoenix Saga. So Beast had to go out and hire, like, some redhead. She probably, he maybe got Madeline Pryor to dress up and... This is weird, Beast. <laughs> Scott makes me do it, and I think it's kind of strange, but when you make me do it, it's really weird. <laughs> uh, yes. So the Beast has a tape where he goes through the origins of the X-Men, the incident at jamaica bay the rise of the phoenix the rise of dark phoenix and then her sacrificing herself on the moon um and then kind of goes on about the phoenix and if it should ever reappear that could signify the end of everything heaven help us all oh my says jarvis so the back at the house of her parents they have a lot of books um reed convinces jean gray to finally hold the hollow empathic crystal thingamajigger so that he can she can remember what happened and uh she she says well i was an x-men once and i've walked my into the very jaws of hades i'm not sure what that refers to but <laughs> what can this little gla piece of glass hold that could possibly be worth than that and well, did she ever encounter mephisto maybe she did not mephisto but i feel like there was lucifer <laughs> who wasn't the devil, but was underground, if you re mm -hmm. recall those old issues. I thought there was a hell issue, but I guess not. Yeah, well, Lucifer, but not not the real Lucifer. And they right. went, they've been, yes, they've been... But that wasn't really Hades. I mean, no. well, she Hades hasn't, in the Marvel Universe is like a real place. Well, she, I don't think she's... I, I think it's, she's just like, I've been to hell and back, but, All you know, right. figuratively, right? But they don't say hell in comics. So as she grabs the hollow empathic crystal um the well hercules and the fantastic four see images of what's happening okay so we forgot to mention that she doesn't have her telepathic powers right uh, for some reason when she woke up she doesn't have her telepathic powers but when she holds the crystal she gets her telepathic powers back which is how reed and sue and hercules are able to see what is going on so we kind of get a retelling of Dr. Corbo saying like, hey, we're not going anywhere. This ship is trashed. Gene psychically taking the information from Dr. Corbo about how to fly the ship, knocking out Cyclops, flying the ship, getting weak. And that's where we get new information or uh, we've already covered it through essentially the uh, classic X-Men. But the entity known as Phoenix shows up as she's dying in the cockpit and offers, uh, well, in a nutshell, offers her life for, I don't know, in exchange for safety or something. Well, it's they, there's there's the implication that the Phoenix entity just kind of wants to be a person for a while. Right. And that it's, she's not sure what's going to, the, the entity is not sure what's going to happen to her. I can't really tell if the, they're trying to make the entity out to be bad. I don't think so. Uh, 
I read this as though the entity is formless and it's just floating around, flying around space. Happen to come across this space shuttle. Jean reaches out for help. She's, you know, she's dying. She's like, help me, you know. And this thing senses that passion, senses that help, and is like, well, I, let's check this out. It comes in, takes a form, takes Jean's form in an energy uh, form of Jean, and then they kind of have this conversation um, where the, I don't know, the Phoenix just is intrigued maybe by. Uh, humanity and and by the sacrifice that that Jean's putting herself through to save her friends and and maybe the Phoenix would like to experience that, which is why she's like, well, I can't do anything for you now, but um, give me your your soul, your mind, uh, let me be you, and and I will protect your, I will I will repair your body. And all this happens because uh, the 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 Phoenix, the first thing it does is stops time. Yes. So Jean Grey is not, I guess she would be dead at this point, but uh, Phoenix has stopped. And if you remember in classic X-Men, the, the version that we saw, Jean Grey's body was all shriveled up, but we don't see that here. Yeah. I, was this before the classic X-Men or was the classic X-Men before this? This was before the classic X-Men. I much prefer, I mean, this is fine and everything, but I much prefer that kind of shriveled up Jean going like, oh, fine, save me. But anyways, yes. Uh... That's there's a lot more words and stuff happening here, but that's uh, in a sense that's what I take away from it. I it's it was it's very Beyonder esque. Kind of is yes. Like I, I got a sense of like what you're talking about, where it's just kind of an entity who's curious and right. Oh, I'm also going to take on the humanity. That's interesting. So at the end of this whole sequence, uh, the Phoenix. Well, is- she, Jean Jean says I. I'd, I'd, I'm willing to do this. I'd be willing to dance with the devil himself. And the Phoenix Energy says, I am not that. And then pauses and says, yet. But that is the risk I am taking. So there's there's a risk, I guess, the, the combination of this entity plus Gene's humanity is what drives the entity crazy. Well, sort of. Which, which they talk about that yeah. on the next page. But um, I kind of wish that whole bubble wasn't there because it's just planting the seeds for you guys remember Dark Phoenix, right? So, I don't know. I feel like it's unnecessary. I feel like the rest of the story just, just tells itself. It doesn't need to have this. Um, so then she says, I'm alive more so than ever before now and forever. I am Phoenix! And then we flash to present and Jean says, but I am not. I'm Jean Grey. These memories, they're mine, but there's something else here. Another image recorded alongside mine in the crystal. What does it all? Oh, the crystal. So that, of course, is a reference to what's-her-face. Rachel? <laughs> Rachel. Really? You think so? Yeah. It's got to be. And I'll, and I'll tell you why when we get to the end of this. Because <laughs> you read that? Um, sort of. Okay. Um, I honestly didn't catch that in the first reading. I, I just caught it now. So she faints. Or collapses anyways. Captain America shows up to uh, Captain America shows up to reveal that he caught the end of it, and um, he kind of says she, she's worried that the uh, the energy creature, since the energy creature believed itself was her, that I don't know. She's just very confused. How will I ever really know I'm me and not that thing? How can I be sure? And that's when Captain America says, It matches very well with what I learned from the Beast Report in the Avengers Files. That shuttle of yours did crash in Jamaica Bay. And in what must stand as a major miracle, there were no fatalities. You came out of it better than ever, though. Or something that thought it was you. 
something that later turned out to be the living embodiment of pure evil, which I don't know if I agree with that. But anyway, exactly as it called itself Phoenix and it was well on the way to destroying us all until Gene defeated it. Me? How? I was zonked out at the bottom of the bay, wasn't I? Indeed you were, Gene, but I can see Cap's point. Apparently the creature knew the risks of taking on the human form, both good and bad. And then she says, You mean it was my humanity that turned the Force bad? On the contrary, Miss Gray, I believe it was the power of the entity rebelling against the force of your will that tainted it. Gobbledygook-de-gook. <laughs> what I just said makes no sense whatsoever. It's a very wordy response for just being like its power corrupted itself but your humanity defeated it in the end you know just keep it simple like don't go into this your brain waves were so precise blah 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 mind readers couldn't even tell the difference but your inner self could not be suppressed once the phoenix had taken it on well that part makes sense i mean i don't know it 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 replicated her so well that it had her goodness. I like that bit of it. Yeah. But the the the, the whole the entity rebelling against uh, that isn't even it's not even a like it's a sentence that makes no sense. I believe it was the power of the entity rebelling against the force of your will that tainted it. So that was her fault then. <laughs> I would have preferred, and I inf- I take it I take everything away from this. I mean, I know what's written on the page is that. The power corrupted her. And then she was pushed over the edge due to her uh, immaturity um, with the power by the Hellfire Club. I mean, the, none of this is necessary here. And she says, it, it was my humanity that turned the force bad. Then the answer is yes. <laughs> well, it depends on who's answering the question. See, Reed will say no, on the contrary. However, Captain America will be like, well, yeah, actually. Well, no, it was it was Captain America that said, on the contrary. But well, then he right. goes on to say a sentence that, to me, sounds like he's just repeating the same thing from a certain point of view. <laughs> from a certain point of view. From a certain point of view? Yeah. Anyways, uh, whatever. In the last moments, as it hovered between light and darkness up there on the moon, that's what made the difference, because there's no force in the universe that can suppress the splendor of the human spirit, and it was this, uh, that spirit, even in duplicate form, that was enough to defeat the evil power of the phoenix. And with this, Jean looks at ease and at rest. Okay, if you say so. You're really big and strong. <laughs> So it's been uh, it's been a while, um, and Jean's still kind of hanging around with the Avengers at the Avengers Mansion. They don't really know what to do with her. She can't go to the X Men because the X Men are have been corrupted by Magneto. Can't get a hold of her parents. They gave her some new clothes finally. Jeez, do you think they would have given her some clothes before they went to her parents' house? You'd think that they would have been like, uh, "Ma'am, we're going to do everything to help, but you need to get in that shower now." Wearing this torn up dress. Reed is like. Hey, I know who to call. And that's the end of this issue. Who is Reed calling? Says the caption. We don't find out who he calls until the first issue of X Factor. So this is what I read. Okay. Uh, Lay it on us. A couple different sources. Um, Because we're actually not going to cover X Factor number one. No, no. We're just going to talk about it. (laughs) so in the back of this book there is a uh, kind of a summary of what happened by Kurt Busiek Uh, and I also read in Marvel Comics uh, the history I have the same summary by Kurt Busiek but I think you have more essays maybe 
There's a lot of stuff in here. Yeah. There's all of there's all of the Marvel Age stuff leading up to it. Um, there's a lot of artwork leading up to it, a lot of alternate covers, because I guess X-Factor 1, Jim Shooter made them do like five different covers because he wasn't satisfied with any of them. Um, so a couple of kids before they were Marvel kids, and I think uh, Kurt Busiek doesn't mention who the other ones are, but they also become, well, at least one of them becomes Marvel uh, so Kurt Busiek, back when he was in college, and some other kids, one who would also go to work for Marvel, um, came up with this idea that uh, they 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 wanted to do like a personal exercise where they wanted to figure out if there were because Jim they everybody in outside of uh, that wasn't working for Marvel Universe somehow knew that uh, Jim Shooter had set out a mandate that said Jean Grey could not be alive if she did all that phoenixy stuff yes so they sat down and kind of did like a mental exercise of how could we create a story where gene gray could be alive and then he didn't do anything with it because he's just some kid well then he went to a comic-con it was kind of an or- organic conversation that they had where it was like what if this what if that and then they came up with like well, what if it wasn't even her and they all kind of laughed about it and moved on right so we so we get you know the birth of Probably the best retcon in all of Marvel history. Right. Um, and then at a comic convention, and I think Kerbusek at this point is working for comics, he meets up with Roger Stern and tells him the idea. And then Roger Stern tells John Byrne the idea. And John Byrne tells Jim Shooter the idea. And then Jim Shooter's like, we'll run with it. And that's why you have the Avengers with Roger Stern and the Fantastic uh-huh. Four with John Byrne. So Chris Claremont finds out and he's like, what? <laughs> She's dead, damn it. And um, the X-Men is like the most popular comic at the time. So Chris Claremont's like, uh, the, in the book I read, like Louise, I think it was Louise Jones or Simonson it has to tell him. And he, he like immediately wants to call Jim Shooter and like, you know, threaten to quit or whatever. And um, she says, well, just give it 24 hours. And so he kind of sits on it and he's like, uh, it, it still doesn't sit well with him. But he, he he doesn't freak out on Jim Shooter like he immediately wanted to. And um, so he goes in and, and, you know, he tries to convince Jim Shooter not to do it. And Jim Shooter's like, no, we're doing it. So he says, well, uh, I want to be involved. And, and the way that he ends up getting involved is that some of the pages in the Fantastic Four that we just read through are read are written by Chris Claremont and drawn by Jackson Juice. Really? And they are the pages... Um, of Jean Grey talking to the Phoenix. Ah, that makes a lot of sense because I did think that the art style was different there. Uh, some of the flashback stuff is John Byrne. Some of it is Jackson Juice. But yeah, you can kind of tell the stuff that it, it, Jackson Juice says he was imitating his best John Byrne style. Sure. But the um, the X Factor collection actually has the original pages. And the, some of the original dialogue, and it's actually like one, two, three, four, five pages of artwork, um, some of which is completely changed, and some of which some of the word balloons are just rewritten, such as the one that I mentioned where Chris Claremont added that thing about the these memories. They're mine, but there's something else here. Another image recorded alongside mine in the crystal. Okay. That was all him adding that. Sure, sure. So the original intention uh, of the stuff that's in John Burns is that um, 
the phoenix attacks Jean Grey and takes on and is going to kill her. But at the last second, Jean Grey says uh, in the last bit of defense, forces her essence with her telekinesis and her telepathy into the phoenix which causes all the problems so in in that instance the phoenix is evil okay and that's how john byrne wanted to do it but chris claremont was like no <laughs> okay and uh jim sure let him go in and rewrite all those pages and and redraw, have jackson juice redraw some of them which ultimately led for john byrne to leaving marvel comics really yeah, because he was ticked off. So they tampered with his book, and he's like, "The hell with this, I'm out of here. Yeah, and then he, he got a deal to do the new Superman title for DC, and he was like, well, that's Superman. Yeah, who's going to pass up Superman? Okay, so this is the story that almost broke up the family, or in some cases did break up a bit of the family. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So uh, Chris Claremont was not very happy that X-Factor was happening without him. Mm-hmm. I think he was really into controlling all the bits of the the, the, the mutant the universe. universe or the the mutant universe that you know x-factor or uh, x-men and the new mutants and that brings us to because you demanded it the dramatic return of the original x-men um x-factor number one marvel uh february 1986 uh this was on sale november 12th of 1985 so about a month after the fantastic four issue this one's titled third genesis Strap yourselves in. It's a 48-pager. Baptism of Fire, it says on the on the cover. You said that there's other covers in the uh, Epic collection? Yeah, there's... Um, let's see. Well, the only reason I ask is because I've always, I've always been a little let down by this cover. There's... Well, maybe they're not alternate covers. There's a okay, so so there's a bunch of different covers, and I think some of them were the covers that were originally drawn for it, and then ultimately reused. So we have X Factor number one unused cover, which got reused on in Marvel Age sixty four. We have a second X Factor number one cover, and then we have a th- oh no, this is X Factor eight. So there's two essentially. So the one from Marvel, oh, Marvel Age, what what issue of Marvel Age? Uh, Marvel Age 64 says, un- X-Factor unused cover by Jackson Juice and Bob Layton from Marvel Age 64. So I don't think it was the cover of Marvel Age 64. Uh, it was just used in Marvel Age 64. Okay. So it wasn't the cover of Marvel Age 33. That wasn't a rejected cover, was it? That's basically got the four X-Men bursting out of the cover a la giant-sized X-Men number one. It says no. It just says cover art. Okay. So this was not an alternate cover. Well, anyways, yeah, the cover of this is it's the original five X Men uh, running through a cave that's on fire. Oh, and, and if you read through uh, Marvel Age thirty three, there's also an unused cover. I think that might be another one of the ones. Who's in the middle? Take a guess. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know. Who could it be? Um, oh no! And actually, okay. So that, that I, I have a finished version of that cover with with Jean Grey in the middle and Beast replaced by uh, not Blue Beast by a human looking Beast. Yeah. Hmm. So ah, lots of stuff. Well, sure. Onward to the issue. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's Jean Grey, y'all. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- um, that's forty eight pager. Put it on your safety belts. Strap yourself in. Um, this is a. Um, I got to be honest, Adam. I I am I'm a big fan of the the early adventures of X Factor. Okay. 
And uh, I think this this first issue is maybe even indicative of why um, I am a fan of it, because X Factor, the first, at least the first 30 some odd issues are, are a lot less action hero oriented and a lot more focused on the drama of these five people who have known each other almost all their lives. And yeah, I definitely noticed reading this that there was not a lot of action, and the, even the action that was there seemed like it was shoehorned into the end because, like, uh, we need to have some action. Yes, and I, I, I mean, I don't know back in 1980, whatever, if if the kid buying this off the rack was like, well, this is boring, or if the drama. I mean, it's literally what this is. It's it's drama. You've got you've got the the um, falling apart relationship of Scott. And Madeline, you've got Scott being reacquainted with his childhood love who was thought dead. You've got Angel who's conflicted about his feelings about either his current girlfriend or Jean. Um, and then you've got this whole, uh, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, scheme that they put together for the foundation of what X Factor is. And you tie all that together, and then the series goes from there. I mean, I know I've spoiled most of the issue, but... <laughs> Um, it's still like all that's compelling. And, and then the fighting, you're right. The fighting is very minimal. This is not, this is not X-Men number one, where you get introduced to X-Factor's nemesis. It's, it's the exact opposite of that. And I actually kind of appreciate that. I forgot to mention last issue or last episode of, of Danger Room that in the last new defenders, uh, Moondragon gave Angel his eyesight back just so that he could see her torturing Candy Southern so that he wouldn't get involved. Oh, that's right, because you said he was blind or something. Yeah, he, he had been blind for about, I don't know, six to ten issues. And they kept saying, oh, it'll never be solved. But it was solved with the snap of a fingers. Huh. Comic books. Is there anything they can't do? I was hoping. I was. I was hoping that there would. He would be like. I was recently blinded, but I'm, I can see now. But no, there was none of that. <laughs> There's a lot of that stuff skipped here. In Anchorage, Alaska, Cyclops is in his own little world, chopping wood with his optic beams. Madeline is also there, kind of poking fun at him. You really show those trees? Who's the boss in this family? You think you could watch the baby for me while I run a few errands? And again, Scott, in his own little world, he's just offering two-word sentences as answers. Uh, the TV is on, and it's talking about the mutant menace. So he gets sucked in, starts thinking to himself about how bad it is. And um, again, Jean, or Madeline's like, hey, hello, need some help. I asked you for a diaper. <laughs> Did you go get a diaper? <laughs> Um, and the, the, what's going on here, which is important actually, cause this is, this is going to be in the pages of the X-Men as well, is that, uh, there's a, uh, some legislation that's being crafted that would, uh, force mutant registrations, mutants to register their powers and to check in every year or so. Uh, and that bill could be on the president's desk by early spring. And, uh, this does not bode well for Scott Summers. But Madeline, she doesn't care. She's like, you, you're done. You did your time. You're, it's a family time. You got me. You got a kid. You got a home. And you just got to forget about those X-Men. And you got to forget about Jean Grey. And ever since you got back, you've been super distant and trapped in your own world. And it's really annoying. And I just need a diaper. The X-Men don't need you. Jean is dead. I need you. And the baby needs a diaper. So that night, Madeline wakes up to an empty bed. She's like, Ugh, not again. She goes out to the deck. And uh, Scott's staring off into the distance. And she says, 
Scott, I've tried to under, look, look, uh, overlook a lot of things. I tried to be understanding with when you were here with, for the baby, when you weren't here for the baby's birth. And we get a tighter. He says, I know I should have been here. Uh, he also says, I, I understand. I'm just not exactly sure what we have anymore. Just right. kind of a terrible thing to say. Yes. Then he goes on to say something even worse. Right. She's like, I've even tried to deal with the fact that I resemble your dead lover. It's never been an easy thing for me to live with. It's Jean, isn't it? You're thinking about her right now, aren't you? And he says, yes. Then we get a great shot of her. Furious. Breaking into tears, kind of angry, upset. And he's kind of upset with himself. Right. He's pounding on the wall. Yep. It's a nice shot. That's a great shot. Uh, and this whole thing, like, on the one hand, you're like, God, Scott's such a jerk. But on the other hand, he just, he's, he's telling the truth. Um, so you're, we're witnessing the, the falling apart of a relationship. <sighs> uh, meanwhile, um, after the f- defenders have fallen apart, uh, Angel, Beast, and Iceman are going to go back to normal lives. So Beast and Iceman are packing up their bags. Beast is going to go see if he can be like a professor or something. Iceman's got an accountant job waiting for him, and uh, Angel, he's just gonna he's gonna rebuild his um, his New Mexico house and uh, just kind of live it up with his girlfriend Candy Southern. Um, the uh, there's some rep- guys there that are doing some repairs to Warren's house, and they're talking about muties and stuff. But at least the money is there, and they're not paying attention because they're all staring at Candy. And one guy loses control of his circular saw, which is weird that he's just got a running circular saw. But anyways, <laughs> the, the saw cuts through the scaffolding rope, and they all go falling. So Angel, Iceman, and Beast spring into action and clumsily rescue the workers. And they kind of realize that, like, ugh, without a without a Cyclops or somebody like that, like we're just we're just guys like muddling through. That's why the Defenders didn't work. We're done. We're washed up. Somewhere Angel says the Defenders are apparently dead. Right. To which I say they turned into dust. They're dead. Just say they're dead. <laughs> I don't think that. Uh, what is it? Bob Layton that's writing this read the defenders he just got a, a like a summary no 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 I, I don't think they wanted to bring the baggage of that to this yeah probably not but i mean <laughs> you know a, a word i mean if you're gonna why why say apparently dead um, why not just say dead maybe they're hoping that people that read x factor haven't read defenders uh I, I don't know adam but or or is it that angel like living in the marvel universe refuses to accept death so l- l- let me put it in this perspective like when i had read x factor number one for the first time I'd never seen an issue of Defenders. So it didn't matter. I was like, oh, okay. So they were a part of the Defenders, didn't work out, and apparently some of them are dead. Like, you start introducing the fact that they turned into dust, and then I'm like, what? Wait, what, what else is going on there? Did you did you even realize that Defenders was a comic book? I did, only because I think maybe I had an overstreet guide that listed their comic values, <laughs> but I had never seen one on the shelves or flipped through an issue. So Angel sees uh, Iceman and Beast off, and uh, he gets a telephone call. Uh, After, he he notices that Beast forgot a bag, and in that bag is is an old picture, like a graduation picture of the X-Men, where... It's it's even pre-graduation, because it's it's Iceman as a snowman. Yeah, he's got the carrot and the hat on, so this is definitely lifted from issues one through five. Right. Yep, so... (laughs) Be from issue one. 
It, it very well could be. Um, and so the phone rings. He gets it. It's Reed Richards. And he's like, what? I'm on my way. Candy's like, what's going on? He's like, no time to tell you. But have the airplane gassed up for me, waiting for me in 20 minutes. This is very silly. <laughs> However, it kind of makes sense later on when he kind of expresses that maybe he's got feelings for Jean. So maybe he, he he's like, what? Jean? Hey, I always liked her. I can't tell Candy. This is this is too much. It's a I little, mean, it's a little silly, yeah. It it it's it's I guess it's fun, and maybe that's what this comic is going for is kind of a fun sort of silly. This would never happen in real life, sort of thing. And then they, we get Candy watching him leave, and she says, "Hey, you're not going to leave me alone with a house full of construction workers, are you?" She thinks to herself, hmm, "On second thought, Ooh, which I say, gross." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, in San Diego, a naval yard, uh, young Rusty Collins is a Navy officer, and his chief is going to take him on the town for some R&R. And they go to Triple X Bar, and uh, they have a couple drinks. And Rusty's like, I don't really drink. And the chief's like, you got to meet my friend Emma. And Emma's like, you're handsome. Come out in the alleyway and we can kiss. And Rusty bursts into flames. <laughs> Rusty's a mutant. Rusty's mutant power has just manifested itself in this kind of stressful situation of drinking and uh, sexual excitement. And so his his power erupts. He, he accidentally sets Emma Laporte on fire. He's on fire. The alley's on fire. He, he goes running off. And we turn our attention to the airport that Angel has just landed in. He draws a lot of attention to himself as he flies through the terminal, getting to Reed Richards. Reed's like, nice job. Come back to the mansion with me. I got some things to show you. He flies through the airport with his shirt off. Come on. So it's stupid. It's stupid. Well, no, it's 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 fine. It's funny. But the the one thing that I don't like is the fact that in the panel where uh, Reed Richards reaches out his hand, he's like, Angel, over here. His legs are bent backwards as he's flying. Oh, yeah. That looks like really painful. It looks like he's got goat legs. <laughs> So they head back to Avengers Mansion, and uh, there's a, there's a bit of mutant anti mutant hysteria at the airport. Sure, uh, it's, it's a big thread that's happening through this issue. There's a lot of anti mutant hysterics. They see Angel flying, and the, and and people start throwing things. Dirty muty. Um, so they go to the mansion. Angel can't believe that Jean Grey is alive. This is the first realization, at least for us, that. Angel has been told that she's alive. Reed's like, "All right, well, you gotta take it slow. You gotta help her adjust." Um, but yeah, come on in. You can you can see her. And that's when we flip our attention back to Rusty, uh, mutant hysteria. Just like you said, everyone's like, "He's a mutie. Lock him up." And the chief wants to kill him, and Rusty is taken away in a I don't know paddy wagon, jail wagon, something like that. He looks into the faces of the crowd for any sympathetic eyes. He finds only fear. Meanwhile, back at a swanky hotel suite, Angel is wearing his Avenging Angels costume, and he's thinking to himself, whoa, this is crazy. What am I going to do? Gene wants to see Scott. I got to call him. What about Madeline? What about me? I like Gene. Maybe me and Gene could get together. And he sits there from 4 a.m. until 9 a.m. in a thoughtful pose. Until... Five hours. Come on. Well, it's it's 4.02 to 9 o'clock. So really four hours and 58 minutes. Look at his crotch in the lower right-hand corner. That looks so uncomfortable. Well, you'd be on... Yeah, five hours. It's getting saggy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so he's like, ah, oh, the hell with it. 
Uh, in Alaska, while the phone is ringing, Scott has apparently decided that, okay, I was kind of a jerk last night about the whole Gene thing. I'm sorry, you know, we're going to work this out. Everything's going to be just fine. So he answers the phone, and he's like, what? How? It's impossible. Yes, of course. Yes, I'll be there. And you see kind of the expression drain from his face from where he was kind of happy about the day to very sad, understanding that he has got to go, and he has no idea what this is going to do to his marriage. And we get this great panel where he says, "I she 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 uh, Madeline says, tell tell Angel you can't make it to New York." And he says, "I I can't do that, Maddie." And she says, "Scott Summers, if you walk out that door, don't bother coming back." I'm and sorry, says, Maddie. I'm sorry, Maddie. I I have to go, and it's a it's like a Roy Lichtenstein painting. It's one of those. Classic Roy Lichtensteins. With the second to last or the last panel? The second to last. It's great. Uh, You know, Cyclops, he's got his hands buried, well, his head leaning against his arm. He's just got a huge frown on his face. Madeline is, like, distressed. uh, And you can can really just see the the fear. Like, this, if, if you leave, like, this is it. Like, this is the final straw. I'm scared of this threat I'm about to make. And then he leaves, and she buries her hand in the dish rag that she was using to do the dishes. Uh, kudos to Jackson Juice. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Scott makes it to the the hotel. A lot of security guards because of the anti mutant fervor. Anyways, he meets yeah, up Angel with has hired Angel. security guards, which is kind of weird. Yeah. This is this is seems like a waste of a page. I think they were just trying to fill their 48 pages. So he gets in there. Cyclops has no interest in catching up with his friend. He just wants to know where Jean is. And how much have you told her? Yes. Not a thing, old buddy. I'm afraid I had to leave that to you. Peter looks miserable as he says that. He opens you up. You deserve here. Yeah. He opens up the door and sees Jean. She's She's all dressed up. She's got a nice black dress on, some blue heels. Her hair's all done up. And he says, oh, my God, it is Jean. <laughs> she runs and jumps up into his arms, lifting her legs into the air. And he, she has missed him. And she's like, I thought they were keeping you from me. I thought we were never going to be able to see each other. You're here. And she's so happy. And he's like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> It really is you. I can't believe it. It doesn't seem possible. And she's like, but of course it's me, handsome. Who else loves you this much? And he starts crying. Well, she wants some smooches. Like, she's in there like, let's kiss. It's been so long. And he's, yeah, he turns away and he's crying. And she's like, God, I've never seen you crying before. It's it's okay. I understand how you must feel. Um, now that we're back together, things will be just like they used to be. Scott says, Gene, I have to tell you, and this is, I blame the rest of the series on Angel. Angel could have waited two minutes. He didn't have Seriously, to come in right why now. Why is Angel giving them 30 seconds to get back together? He walks in, he's like, <clears throat> I hope I'm not interrupting anything. How are you two doing? Which cuts Scott off from being, saying, I'm married. And then, or, or, you know... I, I, I can't lay the blame solely on Angel. Scott could say, hey, Angel, we're talking about some important stuff. Out. <laughs> well, true, but uh, I also think that this gives Scott kind of the excuse that he was looking for to not have to tell her. 
Right, of course. Which is why it's mostly Scott's fault. Okay, it's all Scott's. The fault. rest of the rest of the next five issues is Scott coming up with excuses to not tell her things, even though he has absolutely no problems telling Madeline. I'm thinking about Jean. <laughs> well, that, that clearly means that he never really truly got over her, although he says otherwise later. But Scott is painted as a horrible human being in these first five issues of X Factor. I. Dis- but a great leader. I disagree with that. Uh, his relationship skills are speak for themselves. Well, okay, yeah. They're not the best. <laughs> they could be better. Um, anyway, so... There are so many opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, but that just draws out the, the drama and the... Oh, no, no, it's great. It's a soap opera. It's absolutely yeah, the tor- a soap opera. The torture that, that ultimately, you know, befalls the Cyclops. Um, but anyways, yeah, so Gene's like, this is great. We're all together, the three of us. Um, and then... Scott wants he, we get the the the, the flashback all the, all the stuff that happened in the Avengers issue and the X-Men issues from way back and the Fantastic Four issue that we just covered uh and and Scott's kind of emotionlessly is like it's simply incredible i i'm at a loss for words uh, Jean Grey does mention, oddly, oh, my telekinetic powers have been increased dramatically by the experience after Angel points out that she has lost her telepathic abilities. Which is super convenient because that means she can't read uh, Scott's mind. Oh, yeah. No, these things are all well plotted out in advance. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, not, none of this is coincidence. Yeah. I mean, you know, when when Beast in a couple issues gets his human form back, it's for a very specific reason. Absolutely. Um, and so Gene is like, well, now that I've told you my story, I got some questions for you guys. Do you know while I was out for the count, mutant hysteria is at an all-time high and Magneto's working for the X-Men? What the hell have you guys been doing while I've been gone? <laughs> and everyone's like, uh, well, you know, we tried some stuff. It didn't really work. Hold on there. Slow down. Yeah. And Gene uh, is like, uh, what's wrong with you, Scott? You actually tried to work with Magneto, the man who was trying to kill us at every turn when we were growing up? And Scott has, has said that he tried to take over as leader of the X-Men, but he couldn't cut it. He uh, retired, more or less. Went back to his wife and kid. Oh. No, oh, not going to tell you that part. Boy, you guys make me sick. What happened to your commitment to Professor X's dream? Which is a good question, right? Because Professor Xavier had a dream, um, and you could say that the new X-Men have pretty much lost that dream. I mean, the dream is never really mentioned or followed in the pages of Uncanny X-Men, as good as it is. I don't know. I feel like they always come back to it at some point. I don't know. I feel like this is kind of a return to, to well, a return to what the original X-Men were all about. Which... Well, this is definitely a back to the basics, for sure. Yeah. And so Jean blows a hole in the side of the apartment because she is fed up with these people and somebody's got to do something. She flies away. Cyclops is like, oh my God, everything's so confused. Makes no sense. He he actually throws a little pity party for himself. And the angel's like, what's with you? Grab hold and we'll go after her. And he's I I can't. So much. Not right. All screwed up. Ugh. Well, to blazes with you then, Angel says. He flies off. And immediately finds Gene and was like, you know, I've been thinking, I have an idea. <laughs> in the in the last, you know, 15 minutes that we've been separated, I concocted a plan. But I'm not going to tell you about it right away. I got to go shoot some commercials. Yes. <laughs> Meanwhile, Beast is not faring very well. He's facing some anti-mutant prejudice. Nobody wants to hire him because he's Beast. 
This is his 15th interview at a prestigious university. And uh, he, before he even gets in to interview, the, most of the staff has made a point of saying that they don't want to work with a mutant. Jeopardize the reputation of the school. Bobby Drake is not excited about being an accountant, and he gets a phone. Wait, wait, wait. Before, before Beast bursts out of the room, and then a mysterious man in the shadows says, Hey, Warren Worthington wants to pay you some money to do some stuff. Warren, lead the way. Presumably the same person calls Bobby Drake, who's bored of his accounting job, and is like, sure, I'll be right there. And a bunch of guys at the water cooler are like, mutants are fake. And then the water cooler freezes as Iceman turns into his Iceman uh, guys and runs past him and says, Yahoo! Iceman cometh again. Yes. Back to basics. I'm surprised you didn't Uh, say, (laughs) yabo. Abo, Bobby Drake goes about the mundane task of auditing invoices and counting the minutes until his lunch break. That's just mean. Some people love accounting. He does not. So, say in Bobby Drake's opinion, uh, his job is mundane. It's a beast and ice man meet up at a warehouse, and they're like, "Oh, why did you call us here just to show off your real estate acquisition?" Why is Angel wearing a coat? Okay. Or a, a cape, sorry. He's gone to great pains. He's covering his wings with a cape for some reason. Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't... Yeah, all right. That that makes a little more sense. But I, I don't I was, know why, because it's just him and Beast and Iceman, soon Gene, and soon his buddy Cameron Hodge, we'll talk about in a minute. Um, But also, earlier in the issue, like, his wings have been outspread, and his wings have been... Like, we've seen him without a shirt, or we've seen him in his costume. I, we know that in the old days, he was able to kind of, like, pin his wings back. It was uncomfortable for him, but he could conceal his wings. Uh, with some straps and such. But for whatever reason, they're choosing not to do that here, although they will change that later. Also, everybody knows who Warren Worthington is, and everybody knows that he has wings. Yeah, so I don't know why he's wearing this gladiatorial cape over his wings, but he is. I almost wonder if, like, the colorist didn't get the memo and just, like, colored it red, and they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Why don't you ink that up a little bit and make it into a cape? (laughs) <laughs> uh but I, I anyway so they're like what what's the deal why'd you call us here and angel's like i got a surprise for you and in the door opens up and a familiar voice says hank bobby guess who's back it really is you and everybody goes in for hugs and everyone's so happy and we're all friends and hey where's scott we got to find him. So apparently Angel's like, well, I can't find him. Gene can't find him. We need you two to go find him. He disappeared a few weeks ago, so it's been a few weeks. <laughs> so Scott, he, Scott has been away from Madeline for a few weeks now. No, that, that's not what they say. I, 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 I know, but I'm just saying he, Scott disappeared a few weeks ago. So it has been a few weeks since that last scene, which means he has not contacted his wife. True. true. He has been down by the pier. <laughs> And this but, is a um, this is a great but, uh, panel, right? So Iceman and Beast, there they apparently they know where to find him, and that is at the pier by Jamaica Bay that gave birth to the Phoenix. And in an excellent panel, we see a sunset background silhouetted Beast and Iceman with the foreground of a disheveled, unshaven, unkempt Cyclops standing at the dock saying, leave me alone, McCoy. So we, they, uh, Beast has deduced. Uh, they've been looking all over for him and he kind of figured out that it was. 
the, uh, in the previous uh, couple of panels, Beast says, if Scott's seen Jean, talk with her we get the picture warren don't you worry we'll find him he says that in front of gene to which if i was gene i'd be like what do you mean why are you being so coy yeah i mean it's a little ridiculous that everybody is in on it's well it's like you said everybody knows but the person who needs to know (laughs) and this this x factor is like the uh the absolute uh epicenter of that phenomena like it does not get any thicker than it does here. It's a total soap opera. I should stop complaining. <laughs> it is, totally. Um, I mean, I know what it is. I don't know why I'm complaining about it. So they're like, hey, man, like, you got to come back. Um, I know the whole gene thing's pretty crazy, but we're friends. Cyclops is just like, I've been wandering around to the old places we used to go to as kids. Did you know the Coffee Bean Cafe is now called, or now a new way sushi bar? I'm all torn up inside. Who is that? Beat? I ate a lot of sushi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My insides are never going to be the same. Who is that beatnik uh, from those old issues? Uh, Bernard. 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 I wish they'd have been like did you know that bernard is a banker <laughs> now or you know just something uh i and then he goes on uh it was only that that thing uh my gene never died i i even mourned for gene resolved myself how can i even face her well he may have mourned for her but he didn't resolve anything because he just told madeline earlier that he was still thinking of gene so there is no resolution there or maybe well, i guess beastie beastie says you're still in love with gene and and scott stammers i i but yeah i mean you gotta think about it like for for scott this is this is pretty weird because like the he was the whole time that he thought he was having a romantic relationship with Dean Gray. It was a, it was a, it was a space monster. In fact, he's got to be like, wait a minute, who was I doing it with on the butt? <laughs> it was a space monster. Oh my God. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot to take in. So this begs you know. the question, Adam, have they ever done it? I don't think they've ever really done it. I don't even think they've kissed. <laughs> I think I think you might be right. Like I, I think they they've not got past holding hands yeah. uh, from those early issues, and and finally when he got up the nerve, it was a space monster. <laughs> Poor Cyclops. See, this is why he's all tormented inside. I haven't yeah. really been very good at the whole love life thing. <laughs> so bad, in fact, that I had to marry a woman that looked exactly like my dead ex girlfriend. We had a baby. I'm a terrible father. <laughs> I I don't even. I talk about Madeline and, and how I can explain this to her, but I don't even talk about my son. I don't even know the kid's name yet. <laughs> we haven't gotten around to naming him because I'm a terrible, terrible father. Uh, anyway, so they're like, whatever it is, buddy, we'll get through it together. So come on, let's go have a meeting with Angel and his buddy Cameron Hodge. You will regret it, Scotty. We'll be with you by your side the whole way. And then in this last panel, Beast's hand is ginormous. Yes. It is the size of a catcher's mitt. Comically large. Wrapped around Cyclops' back. So back at the uh, warehouse that we we were introduced to earlier, uh, we we get introduced to the scheme that Angel and Cameron Hodge has come up with. Cameron Hodge is a former college roommate of Warren's from college. Is this the first appearance of Cameron Hodge, or have we met up with him before? I... I think this is the first appearance. I think so, too, but I get so confused. <laughs> right. The gist is this. Mutant hysteria is at an all-time high. However, uh, mutants need 
people to teach them how to use their power and then be kind of rehabilitated and then reinserted back into the populace. And that's where you'll come in. However, we're going to do it uh, by preying on people's fears, by starting up this mutant investigation service known as X Factor. Uh, we'll run ads. People will call us when they've got a mutant problem. We're kind of like the Ghostbusters of mutants. They'll call us. We'll come. We'll charge them a lot of money. But instead of disposing of the mutant, we'll take them back, uh, work with them, their powers, uh, and then try to make them productive members of uh, of civilization. I'm glad you said Ghostbusters because I was going to make a Ghostbusters joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Angel and I just got done watching Ghostbusters, and we think it's a really cool idea. <laughs> yeah, but instead of having a ghost containment system, we'll have a mutant containment system. So uh, they're like, uh, well, how long have these ads been running? Cyclops asks, and Hodge is like, well, they've been running for several days now. Gene and, and uh, Warren are extremely happy by this, and the rest of the X-Men are like, what? I guess I should say X-Factor, but... Oh, my. I hate to waste time, says Cameron Hodge. Shall we begin briefing on the operations, gentlemen? Meanwhile, at the... And Gene? Yes, gentlemen and Gene. Meanwhile, at the San Diego prison, the chief has come because he's got to settle a vendetta. Uh, That woman, uh, Laporte, what was her name? Emma. Emma Laporte was her... His friend, Emma Laporte, is maybe even his girlfriend or something. So he's he's come to, like, take care of business, and he's going to shoot Rusty. Rusty's powers manifest again, and he's able to blow a hole through the side of the prison. He sets most of the prison on fire because he can't control his power, and then he runs off. Yeah, Rusty was uh, in a straitjacket in, in prison. Yeah. So the chief walks into a bar, and he's got his hand all wrapped up because it got burnt. And the bartender's like, you got a mutant problem, don't you? You should call these X-Factor people. Who are you going to call? We're ready to believe. <laughs> oh, wait, no, it says, you know, no need to be fearful any longer. You think those guys are for real? So he makes the phone call. Give me some change, Elmo. I want to make a call. The thing that I don't like about this is that they paint these guys as really stupid. Yes. I don't like that. So a few hours later, so it's been since they've had their meeting and probably their operational debriefing. It's probably been a few hours. And this is uh, a common problem is that from what I can tell, Gene and Cyclops don't talk off panel. What you see in the panel is the only time they ever talk because they'll go for weeks uh, and then they'll do a mission. They'll be like, Scott, why aren't you talking to me? But it's been like, because it's like, well, we're in the middle of a battle. I don't have time to talk to you. But it's like, well, they've had to have been just kind of like hanging around. Like, so the the same Scott that we saw at the beginning with Madeline, he's pulling the same thing on on Gene. So he's he's basically, I'm going to go chop some more wood. (laughs) But in this case, he's just staring out of a window going like this. This whole plan is crazy. It's ludicrous. It's not going to work. And uh, Exactly. Gene's like, ah, oh, it's going to work. And this whole group is depending on you. So so now she's laying it on thick. He's like, oh, fine. Look, if not for anything else, do it because I want you to be with me, okay? It's the only reason I'm still here, Gene. Then you're coming? I guess. I'll have to be around at least long enough to tell you about Madeline, he thinks to himself. Which I could do right now. <laughs> I could have just said, Madeline. Okay, we'll talk about that later, but just remember, Madeline. Don't let me forget. Now let's do the mission, and we'll talk about Madeline. They got some crazy super jet that's got like a widescreen TV on it. Whatever. They fly to the naval base, and uh, the chief... It just looks like another of Professor X's X-Jets. Pretty much. It's even got the same X on it. 
Yeah. Which wouldn't you think people are like, hey, I've seen that before. <laughs> Where are, is that? Are you guys X-Men? No, 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 no. We're X-Factor. No, no relation. Even though we both have x dash. In our name. Wait, so you're Factor 5? Or what was it, Factor 3? <laughs> no, 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 we're, we're X-Factor. We're not mutants. Oh, okay. So you're new mutants? No, 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 just no, no. So they have a conversation with the chief. Chief explains what's going on, and uh, that's when X-Factor springs into action. Um, the plan is, is that they go in with their X-Factor uniforms but then the original X-Men come. I don't know how they explain this. Like, Yeah, so so uh, so they have kind of ghostbuster sort of uniforms when they're, when they're X-Factor. They have little X's on them and stripes, and they're all dressed the same. They all have sunglasses. But, but then when they go in to do actual, like, action-type stuff, they're dressed up in their new X-Factor superhero costumes, um, which are very, well... Looks like Warren's is essentially the same costume as he always has. It's got an X on it. Instead it's of got that, an X on it. They don't have X's label. on it. That's yeah. they're pretty much the old costumes with X's on them. What doesn't except for I, I, uh, Iceman, he just looks the same. What doesn't really make sense though is that okay, Chief hired X Factor to go get this mutant. Spoilers: the mutant is gotten, but the X Men show up or the old X Men show up. Isn't Chief like? Hey, wait a minute! I heard about. I don't know. Well, the the gist that I got or I thought was that, well, I guess there's Angel. How could you not know who Angel is? And Beast, he was formerly an Avenger. Well, Beast, that's true. Beast and Angel don't dress up as X-Factor because obviously Beast can't. And, and Angel, at this point, can't conceal his wings for whatever reason. So it's just... Well, plus, he's Warren Worthington. You know, uh, he's super famous. Sure. Everybody knows he's... A, that's a good point. Um, so anyways, they show up in their mutant garb and, uh, they, 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 they show off that they're going to be renegade mutants. So they attack the military, um, not hurting anybody, yeah. but just to kind of clear them out of the area so that they can go get rusty, uh, in some secrecy. The weird plan. If I was beast, I'd be like, I have Avengers cred. This is going to mess with that. <laughs> huh? I wonder if I'm going to lose my Avengers clearance. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. They don't really talk about that ever. An angel, like, well, people are going to see me and, and my stock prices are going to drop. Anyways, so they, they, they find Rusty and uh, Rusty's like, oh, my God, there's more of you. You can't take me to your lab and use me as a guinea pig. That's what Chief said earlier is that they're going to take you and they're going to do tests on you. So here's my feeling is that because they're wearing slightly altered costumes, nobody recognizes them. They're just mutants. Sure. Except for Beast, who is Beast. Well, no, because that couldn't be Beast because he's formerly an Avenger. So this is a different blue guy. There's ah. so many blue mutants. T totally, totally. And so they, they fight. Um, they deduce that this guy is fighting kind of out of self-defense. This is not the new Magneto. This is just a, a boy who can't control his powers. Um, they are able to drop the cave on top of them to put out uh, a fire that Rusty has started. Jean is able to do an awesome display of her powers, but she can't hold it for very long. So Cyclops is like, I'm the only one with the power to save us. Finally, I realize what I need to do. And then says out loud, we will be free. So it, throughout this whole adventure, uh, Cyclops has been thinking, this is really working. I belong with these people, with Jean, nowhere else. And now he thinks to himself, all my friends would be dead if I if if I hadn't been here. Uh, I would have lost her again, and the boy Rusty would have died without a chance for a decent life. So he's he's coming around to the whole idea. He's thinking maybe this maybe this is okay. Should really be thinking about his wife and child, but you know. Yep. Maybe maybe we'll get back to that. 
So he starts giving out some more orders. He's like, all right, well, let's wrap up the kid. Let's change back into our X-Factor garb and let's collect our paycheck and get out of here. So they, in classic Ghostbusters form, write him a ch- the check, the bill, and the Chief's like, this is a mistake. I can't pay for this. And they're like, well, we can put the mutant back where we found him. And the Chief says, no, 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 no this is fine. Um, it doesn't quite work as well as in Ghostbusters. No, not at all. Because... Uh- the chief, he just says that's like two years of pay, and I don't know. I'd be if I was the chief, I'd just be like, put him back. Yeah, I I don't care. You put him or back. Or better yet, uh, Cyclops suggests at the very beginning. I suppose you want us to turn him over to the naval authorities, and you know, Chief doesn't want to do that for some reason. I guess mainly because he tried to kill him earlier, and he's worried that maybe they know that. Yes. Or Rusty, Rusty will reveal that to the Navy, so he doesn't want them to know that. Yeah. At could- this point, after the forty-two thousand dollars, I think I'd be like, I'll risk the Navy. Yeah. Um, or just put him back. Anyways, so Angel from the plane, who's kind of uh, been overhearing this, he's like, oh, I could learn to like this. We get what we want, and we take the mutant haters to the cleaners at the same time. Ha, 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 ha. Charmingly ironic at that, says Cyclops. Ha, ha, ha. First time he's left this issue. Ha, ha, ha. X-Factor explains their plot to Rusty, and Rusty's like, oh, so... You're fakers. Well, that's pretty funny. So I'm safe. Cool. That's a real crazy idea. And you mean to say that the chief swallowed that load of it? Hook, line, and sinker, Angel interrupts. It's going to work, isn't it, Warrant? You bet. Gene X-Factor is here to stay. In the background, Cyclops puts another grimace on. Oh, dang. We're going to have a flashback here, a flash forward to my wife, aren't we? That same night in Anchorage, Alaska, 3.30 a.m., Madeline stares at the TV showing an X-Factor ad and her husband holding her baby in a picture. Which, of course, is a coincidence because there's no way she would know that Scott was an X-Factor yet. Oh, no, no. It's a total coincidence, but... Do you think she's been taping all of the X-Factor ads and she just replays them all night on the VCR? Well, do you think Cyclops is actually in any of those ads? No, of course not. Oh, okay. She just really likes the idea of X-Factor. Yeah, she's like, this this feels like Scott. She's like, maybe I should hire X-Factor to find Cyclops. (laughs) That would have been a good story. And kill him. Kill him. So uh, we don't we don't see uh, Madeline in the pages of X Factor for quite some time. Do we actually do we ever see her again? Sure, we do. Do we? Okay. But we'll 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 cover that as it as it comes. Um, and and for our listeners, uh, just just so that you know, like we're not going to like totally go into the X Factor path, but this is an important pivot point for the X Men for the mutant universe. The return of Jean Grey, the formation of X Factor. Uh, what we will do though. As we continue to cover Uncanny X-Men is bring you highlights and updates from X-Factor, just as we've done with Avengers, Defenders, and Dazzler. Um, from time to time, we'll have to dip into those pages, though, as the stories intersect, which doesn't actually happen all that much. So not every episode is going to be two hours. <laughs> but hey, two hours of us for the price of one, right? Yeah, yeah. What's That's great. What's uh, two times zero? To zero. Oh, well, okay. There you go. I don't know what my point there, there was. There you go. <laughs> Good summation. So this was uh this this was this was important for you? Me? You said you said X Factor number one was uh one of your one of your faves? I don't know about X Factor number one, but like the whole X Factor series um and as we kind of talked about earlier, you know, the whole fight sequence with Rusty in the cave is kinda of like, okay, we gotta do this just to insert some action but 
honestly, to me, that that's the low point of the entire issue. Uh, Do you feel like this is kind of indicative of where comics are at this point, that they're more about kind of soap opera-ish type things than than about action sequences? Not really, um, because as we wrapped up Defenders uh, and as we're reading the Secret Wars and as we saw in that Avengers, it's still goofy villains. Like, uh, there was some villain in the Avengers issue that we just read that was like, I'm going to use my my heavy ray on you. I don't, I don't know what his, that, that, yeah, that was, that was a weird scene that, um, really didn't have anything to do with anything, which is why we didn't talk about it. But my point is, is like that sort of stuff is still happening. They all have kind of dumb names. Like I'm, I'm heavy man. I don't remember what it was. I feel like in that, particular issue that was done sort of as an out with the old in with a new sort of way oh you think so That's, yeah i mean it, it felt kind of like a sort of parody of that sort of thing Okay, because that's exactly what it looked like so it's like oh really the avengers are still doing this kind of tongue-in-cheek cheesy bad guy of the month type thing but to, I, I don't know because from this point on, like as growing up, I, I had issues of Fantastic Four and Avengers and Spider-Man and such. But once I got to like this era of comic books, it was pretty much only X-Men and X-Factor that I read. I didn't read anything else. So I'm really uh, oblivious to what, what was happening in the pages of Avengers and Fantastic Four beyond this. And if it gets a little bit more serious or a little bit more melodramatic or what have you in those pages. But I would even go as far as to say as um, like the X Factor takes the drama is way more dramatic than X-Men will be, okay. is and will be. Uh, X-Men is still a, a nice balance of action, storytelling and character development, uh, whereas X Factor definitely focuses on primarily the relationship between Angel, Cyclops and Gene. Um, Beast and Iceman, I think they get tossed a bone. But, but <laughs> you know, you know, like in Star Trek, it was it was it was Bones, uh, Kirk, and Spock, right? And then you, you had other characters that were important, but it was pretty much right. those three. Like that's how I look at X Factor: is it's those three characters and then everybody else. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know how to ex- explain it. Like I recall when I was uh, sixteen. Like I've read the first twenty five issues of X Factor. Many, 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 many times. Um, and I remember once when I was 16, I woke up on a Saturday morning and I just started with X Factor number one and I just read all the way through to X Factor 25. I don't remember how long it took, but I remember like being sad and then being happy and then being <laughs> excited and then, and then being sad again uh, just because of the roller coaster that they take all of those relationships. And it's not just Cyclops and Gene's relationship or Gene and Angel's relationship. It's the characters that they add in and the relationships that they form. Like they, they become dramatic characters as well who have their own problems. It, it's really, yeah. All the listeners out there should should buy themselves a copy of X Factor Epic because we're not going to do it justice doing our little summaries. You should read it for yourself because it's good reading. I read it a few years back. I was I was reading the Essential Black and White X Men's, and then they came out with the Essential Black and White X Factors, and I was like, I probably won't like this, but I'll I'll read it. And I was surprised that for about maybe 40, 40 issues, I was really I really liked it. There is a turning point. Uh, for me, when they go into space and do a six-part miniseries with the Celestials, that I just I couldn't read it. It was so boring. 
<laughs> and then I just never picked it back up. I think that's right about the time period you're talking about. Yeah. Because somewhere it, it, in the third... It's pretty bad at some point. Spoilers, somewhere in the 30s, uh, the X-Factor and X-Men finally meet... Uh, and that whole thing happens. And so so then they have to do n- new different things and they go to space and it's boring. Hmm. And then honestly, I don't really remember how the gold and blue team are formed out of all that. So I don't know if we're still around. We'll we'll find that out. But I, like I, I remember enjoying it. But even now, if I look back into it, I still like kind of think to myself, oh, X Factor. I don't know. Really? But then I'm like, well, but I did really like it. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't know. I, I really just have mixed feelings about the whole thing. I don't know. There's uh, there's there's some low points. I mean, there's there's some issues that 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 aren't as good. Uh, but but for the most part, those those first that first batch is pretty good. I, and I look forward to rereading them as we continue our coverage of all things mutant related. I'll at least read this epic volume one that I bought. Yeah, I should probably pick that up. There's there's like a bunch of bonus content in there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. There's even some issues you might not have been aware of that may or may not have valuable stuff. Like Iron Man Annual number eight. Yeah. I, and Amazing Spider-Man number 282. Guarantee you I didn't read those. Yeah, man. It's worth the price of admission alone. All right. Well, Adam, do you have anything else? No, let's, let's wrap this burrito and stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, uh... Until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.